Hey everyone, I hope you're all doing well and uh, having a wonderful week. Uh, we are continuing a series entitled The Christian Atheist. And in this uh, particular series, we've been looking at not people who claim to be Christian but really aren't, but we're looking at people who actually are Christian, but there are pockets of areas in their life where they are still struggling with trying to be in control, with doubting whether or not they can trust God, and just struggling to surrender those areas to their life. And so we've been uh, going through uh, a book by the, um, uh, Craig Groeschel entitled The Christian Atheist, and he goes through a, a, a list of various areas where many Christians struggle with continuing to um, surrender these areas uh, to God. So far, uh, we've looked at the area of um, knowing God versus uh, knowing about God. There's this difference between knowing about God, hearing about God, learning about God, and actually knowing Him, being in a relationship with Him. And uh, that, that's one area that we can uh, tend to struggle at. Another area uh, that sometimes we struggle with is grace and forgiveness. This idea that uh, we can know about grace, uh, we can know about God's forgiveness, we can believe in those things, but then when it comes time to actually apply it to our life or apply it to those around us, we can kind of struggle uh, in, in those areas. And, um, and then we also talked about prayer. We talked about uh, how Christians often talk about the importance of prayer and how we need to pray, but uh, there can be many times where we doubt whether or not prayer actually works, or whether God he hears us, or maybe we believe all those things, but we just are so busy uh, that we don't end up praying. And so uh, we've covered a number of topics so far, and I hope that it's been a blessing and beneficial uh, to each of you. Now, this week, what we're going to cover is the idea that we uh, we believe in God, but we don't necessarily believe that God is always fair. This idea that we can look around at the world around us, and oftentimes we feel like with um, the things that we see in the world, maybe even sometimes the things that we experience ourselves, it doesn't necessarily seem that God is always fair, that He always does uh, what is right and what ought to be done. We can look around and and we can give numerous examples of this. Uh, you know, we can talk about how um, there are many times where um, unborn babies are, are aborted to mothers who don't want them, or uh, children who are born um, deformed because of a mother who is smoking or drinking or maybe doing drugs uh, while she's pregnant. And so you have that, but then you also have uh, parents who want children, would love to to parent children, love on children, uh, um, raise children in godly homes who are unable to have children. And we, we look at that and we think, that doesn't seem fair. Why in the world would God allow this uh, couple or this woman to get pregnant who doesn't want a child, who will end up killing the child or end up abusing the child, but then he, he will not allow this uh, family over here who is a godly family, wants children, wants to love children, wants to raise them in godly homes. Why does he not allow them uh, to have children. And we look at them and we think, this doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. We can always think, we can also think of examples of, I was just reading here recently, uh, of an elderly woman who uh, was living alone. Uh, one night she went to the bathroom, fell in her bathroom, uh, got hurt considerably, and laid there on the bathroom floor for hours on end, all by herself, uh, scared and, uh, and afraid. And she ended up passing away. And we look at it and we think, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. Why would God allow something like that uh, to happen? And we can go on and on and on about all these heartbreaking examples of uh, the tragedies and, and suffering that we see in the world. And we wonder, why does God allow these things 
to occur. And, and let me just say right off the, the outset, this is something that um, Christians, and, and not even just Christians, but just people in general, have been wrestling with for many, many years. This has been something that has been hotly debated. It's led to many people abandoning the faith or not uh, um, choosing to follow God or follow Christ um, at all because just the unfairness and suffering and hurt in the world. And so I want to just be on the record of saying I don't claim to have all the answers or even to have a, a good answer to these things. I mean, there are many things that I see in the world or that I've experienced uh, throughout life where I think, well, that just doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. And there's no real good answer to some of these questions, um, at least on this side of heaven. And so if you're a person who has hurt, uh, been hurt um, uh, deeply or maybe you're wrestling with some of these um, very intense questions about fairness and, and what is right, what is wrong, and why there's so much evil in the world, I, I, I don't want to um, uh, promise any false um, uh, promises or anything like that about how uh, I'm going to solve all those issues. I, I, I can't. Uh, but what I do want to do is I want us to approach the Bible, approach what God, God's Word says maybe about that, and in doing so, maybe it will bring uh, an additional perspective to it that may help you understand uh, the problem of fairness and suffering in a new light. And so with that said, I want us to take a look at a passage of Scripture in God's Word where we see this, this tension here between God being righteous and holy, but also in some ways seeming to be very uh, unfair in many ways. And, and I'm just thankful, uh, even if we don't get a definitive answer of how this is supposed to work, I'm just thankful that the Bible doesn't skirt this issue, the issue that it, it actually addresses this, uh, even if we don't like the answer sometimes. And so let's go ahead, and I want us to take a look at the, the book of Job, the life of Job. And many of you are probably familiar uh, with this uh, passage of Scripture, this book of the Bible. Uh, Job, just for those who maybe don't know, or those who need a little bit of a recap, Job uh, was someone who uh, lived many, many thousands of years ago. Many scholars believe that Job uh, probably existed around the time of Abraham, maybe a little bit before that. And he was an incredibly righteous individual. He was someone who, to the best of his ability, to the best of his knowledge at that time, again, the law of God was not uh, given at that time through Moses. This was before Moses. And so, but what what Job did know about God, um, he followed, he honored, he obeyed. He was, out of all the people on the earth at that time, he was one of the most righteous. And we see that because in the very beginning of the book of Job, we see that Job is offering sacrifices to God, trying to obey God and lead his family well. And we see that there's a picture of God in heaven. Uh, and uh, all the angels, all it says the sons of God, which is another biblical way of saying the angels gather before the throne of God. And one of the angels that gathered before the throne is Satan himself, which again throws a lot of people off because I've heard time and time again that um, God is holy, heaven is holy, and evil can't be tolerated in heaven. But here we see right here in the book of Job, Satan is in heaven before the throne of God because again, remember, the first sin didn't happen in the Garden of Eden. It actually happened in heaven when Satan fell. And so Satan has, uh, I'm sorry, heaven has been polluted by sin as well. A lot of times we don't think about that. But here we have Satan before the throne of God. And God, not Satan, uh, brings up the, the idea of Job and who Job is. In fact, we see in Job uh, chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves 
before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about the earth and walking about on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant, servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And so here we see at the very outset that it wasn't Satan that had his eye on Job. God had his eye on Job because of how holy and righteous um, Job was. And he, God, points out uh, Job to Satan. And, and then you can read on, and basically Satan says, well, the only reason he's following you, the only reason he honors you is because how much you're blessing him. And so if you allow me to take those blessings away, then he's going to curse you. And the interesting thing that a lot of us, sometimes we just gloss over, but we need to pay close attention to, God enters into this bet, this arrangement with Satan and says, sure, go ahead, take all the blessings away and let's see what Job does. So the same thing goes and he takes all of Job's possessions. Job loses his house. Job loses all of his finances, all of his uh, cattle, all of his everything that made Job financially stable. Satan takes away, and yet Job still doesn't curse God. And so then there's that whole interaction with Satan and God in heaven again. And and Satan says, "Well, yeah, we took away all of his financial blessings, but he still has his children." And so Satan, or God says, sure, okay, take away his children as well. So then Satan takes away, uh, kills off all of Job's daughters, all of his sons, all of his servants, and Job still doesn't curse God. And then Satan comes before God again and says, well, let me, let me strike his health. You've taken everything, you've allowed me to take everything else away. Let me strike at Job. And God says, okay, but just don't kill him. And so then uh, Satan goes back and Job is inflicted with these boils all over his body so bad that at the end of it, Job is sitting on this ash heap that is his life, and he's scraping his skin with broken pot shards just to get some relief from these boils that are from head to toe, and it's just the lowest point that Job could have been in. And the reason why I point all of this out is because this should strike us. If we really sit back and think about what is happening here, many of us would think, this is incredibly unfair. Job hasn't done anything wrong. God is the one who brings Job to Satan's attention and allows Satan to destroy all, all of his possessions, kill his children, and inflict incredible um, suffering and ailment on Job's body himself. And Job gets no explanation at any point during this whole time of why God is allowing this to happen. Job's friends come and they try to make sense of it, which is understandable because as uh, human individuals, we all try to make sense of what's going on around us. And Job's friends try to explain that maybe he sinned in some way, maybe his children have sinned, who knows what must have uh, happened, but th this has to be fair what God is bringing into Job's life. Job throughout uh, this whole book continues to say, no, I've not done anything wrong and I demand God give me an answer. And the incredible thing is God never gives Job an answer. The entire time, all that Job gets from God is God basically says, who do you think you are? You don't know um, why I do what I do. You have no right to, to question me. And in the end, this is what we see Job saying to God. He says in, in chapter 42, verse 1, Job then says, then, it, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge. 
Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract, I repent in dust and ashes. And essentially what Job is saying here is, I don't have an answer for why you've allowed this to happen, God, but I now realize that you're God and I'm not. And I don't understand how you do the things you do and why you do the things you do, and that's okay. Before, this is an amazing thing that Job says. He says, before, even in all the, uh, in my righteous life, living the way you wanted me to live, I heard of you, but I didn't know you. But now as I've gone through this season of suffering, now I truly know who God is. I know what God is like. God is transcendent. God is powerful. God is in control of all things. Never once did Job get an answer as to why he went through what he went through. And honestly, think about it. Would it have helped Job at all to know that, well, Job, the reason why you went through this is because God and Satan had a discussion and God wanted to prove that you would worship him and you would not curse him if all the blessings were taken away from you? Do you think that would have made Job feel any better? And even after God brings everything back into Job's life, God uh, uh, blesses Job with riches, God gives him additional children, do you think any of that would have... Um, made the suffering that he went through any easier? Do you think that uh, just because Job had additional children later, that would have erased the hurt that he experienced and continued to carry with him of the children that he had lost? You can't replace children. And I'm sure Job's body was still uh, racked with the scars of, of the, the boils and, and suffering that he went through. Just because God blessed, it didn't take away from the hurt that, that Job had went through. And yet Job still seems to indicate that he is better off afterwards because now he understands God better. And so this is just a really interesting story that I see. And there's a, a few truths that I want us to, to note in this story as it relates to whether or not God is fair and how God relates to our life in the suffering that we encounter. Now, the first thing that I want us to see is that God does not always make sense. We see in this story of Job, and I really think this is a picture of the suffering that all of us encounter from time to time, whether it be in our own, in our own life or whether that be in the world around us, God does not always seem to make sense. God certainly did not make sense in Job's situation. Why in the world would God have pointed out Job to Satan? Here's this righteous man. Why would Surely God knew what Satan would, would do. Surely God knew what was about to transpire. Why not point out unrighteous people? But yet God points to the one righteous uh, individual and allows Satan to torment him. And then why would God not explain himself? Why would God not say, hey, Job, listen, I have this overarching purpose. This is going to bring glory to me. People are going to be talking about you for thousands and thousands of years because of this. I know this hurts in the moment, but here's what I'm trying to accomplish. Why wouldn't God explain that to Job? And, but here's the thing. We don't always get explanations in our own life. We don't always know why God is doing what he's doing in our own life or in the world around us. And that's a thing that a lot of times we as Christians, we don't like. We try to explain, well, here's the reason why God allowed you to lose that child. Here's why God is allowing you to deal with this ailment. Here's why God has allowed you to lose your job. And we try to give all these explanations of how God may use those things for blessings, how that may allow us to be, bear testimony to him in, in the lives of other people. But the fact of the matter remains, we don't know 
why God allows certain things, what God is doing. And we need to be very careful. I understand the inclination to do that. I do that too many times. But here's the thing. We need to be very careful about speaking where God has remained silent. Because if you look through the book of Job and you see Job's friends who are constantly trying to explain why God is doing what God is doing, God is not pleased with those friends. And in fact, God is about to bring judgment at the end of the book of Job. God is about to bring judgment on those friends. And he he tells Job that he, Job, needs to pray for his friends because God does not want to hear a single word out of his friends anymore. They've said enough. And so I would hate for uh, me to speak where God has remained silent and then to, uh, for God to get upset with me because I'm trying to put words in his mouth or I'm trying to uh, attribute motive uh, to God where um, God has not spoken clearly. And so sometimes we just don't know. Sometimes God has not decided to give us an answer for the things that we endure. And when that happens, we just need to trust in who God is, not necessarily focus on what God is doing. Focus on the fact that he is our Heavenly Father. Focus on the fact that he loves us so much, in fact, that he sent his son to die for us. And if God loved us that much, we can trust him with our life, even when we don't understand what he's doing in our life. So that's the first thing that we need to understand. When we're thinking about suffering, when we're thinking about whether or not God is fair and uh, life is fair and things of that nature, we need to understand, first and foremost, God's not always going to make sense. He's not always promised to give us an answer for why life is going the way it's going. Uh, As parents, we understand this with our kids. Sometimes our kids need to do certain things. And when possible, I like to give an explanation to my children so that they understand the reason why I've said that they can't do this or that they have to do this. But there are some times where they just need to trust in me and and listen to what I, I tell them to, even if I can't or won't give them an explanation in this particular instance. That that comes from them being able to trust in who I am, just like we need to trust in who God is. And the other thing that I, I want us to pay close attention to that we see in the life of Job, but we also see in our own life as well, is that God is not fair. Now, I know that sounds really strange to some, and, and let me explain, but God has never claimed to be fair. He's claimed to be just. He's claimed to be gracious and loving and merciful. But fair is a concept that we really need to be careful when we're applying it to God. For instance, when when we look in the life of Job, it's not necessarily fair that the, the person who's living for God the most is the one who suffers for God the most. It's not fair that here Job is doing everything that he needs to be doing and he suffers, whereas Job's friends are constantly speaking things that aren't true about God, speaking where God is not um, uh, answered clearly, and yet they don't suffer at all. We never see them suffering or or incurring punishment for speaking uh, in the silence where God has remained silent. Uh, And so we see that in our life constantly where um, righteous people, godly people suffer, and we see the ungodly prospering and doing well. And we think, why is that so? We even see this throughout the the Bible. Jesus talks about God bringing sunshine on the godly and the ungodly. And we, we would think, Well, that's not fair. You should reward those who are doing what's right. You should punish those who are doing what's wrong, but we don't see that. And I know my inclination as a Christian is to say, well, one day he will do those things. And that's true, but he's not doing it now. And so in this moment, it doesn't seem like God's very fair. And even if we were to think about eternity and how God will balance the scales one day where he will punish the righteous and I'm sorry, he will punish the unrighteous and reward those, um, who are righteous, even in that, God is not fair. Because here's the thing. 
those of us who are following God and those of us who are expecting God to welcome us into uh, his home and, 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 and shower blessing upon us, we don't deserve that either. We are the unrighteous. We deserve the punishment of God. We deserve the wrath of God and to be separated for all of eternity. But God has decided that he will bless those who are unrighteous because he has punished the one who is righteous. Now think about that for a moment. That God is the judge of all the universe. And instead of punishing me, instead of punishing you, as we rightly deserve for rebelling against the King of kings and Lord of lords, he took his one and only son, his perfect son, who had never done anything wrong, and he punished his son, Jesus, punished him, the innocent, so that he could redeem and he could uh, forgive those who are guilty. That's not fair. That's not right. But that's what God has done. We, we can look at uh, the whole story of the gospel, the fact that, um, you know, when I think about the, I was born, you were born, we were all born with sin that we inherited from Adam. That doesn't seem right. So Adam, thousands of years ago, sinned. And because of that, all of humanity that comes after him is born with an addiction to sin. That doesn't seem right. But that's true. Just as though it's not fair that... Uh, those who have been forgiven by Christ, that we've inherited our righteousness from Christ. That's not fair, but that's how God operates, through grace and through his own judgment, which goes beyond our wisdom and our understanding. So to say that God's fair is not quite accurate. God isn't fair. God is gracious, and God is just, and he is righteous. And so life isn't fair. God isn't fair. Thankfully, uh, we get what we don't deserve. We get blessing. We get um, uh, a relationship with God that we squandered. Uh, these are the things, the unfair things that God bestows on us. And so when we say that we look around the world around us and we think that God isn't fair, we need to also remember that's a good thing because I would never be able to earn the blessings that God every day pours into my life. And so these are some important truths that we need um, to keep in mind. The other thing I just want to in encourage you to remember is that life and God does not revolve around you. So often we fall into this trap of thinking uh, that uh, life revolves around us, that God revolves around us, but that's not true. When we suffer and when we are hurting, our hurt and our suffering is not the main thing. Now, I don't say that lightly. I know that there are some people who are hurting in, in incredible ways, and my heart breaks for you, and I can say confidently that God's heart breaks for you as well. And when I'm hurting and when I'm suffering, sometimes the only thing I can think about is the pain that I'm experiencing in that moment. And so I'm not saying this with callousness, but I am saying this uh, in, in a spirit of truth and honesty with you, that life is not all about me, and life is not all about you. And even in our hurt and our suffering, it's not all about us. Sometimes we have to go through hardships, not because it's um, the best thing for us, but because it's a part of God's plan and it's about his glory and his name being magnified. Now, I do believe that everything that happens in the life of a believer is for our good, ultimately, and for God's, um, God's glory. Those things are true. But in the big uh, grand scheme of things, everything is about God and his glory, okay? Now, when God is glorified, we are blessed by that. But we need to understand that first and foremost, God is about his glory and his namesake, and that's the way it should be. That's things in its proper order, and that's when all of creation around us is blessed. And so we need to make sure that when we're talking about what, whether or not God's fair or not, really we're, there's a temptation there 
for us to get our eyes off of God where they should, where they belong, and and focus in on ourselves. And when we do that, uh, we are moving in the wrong direction. And so those are just a, a few of the truths that I want us to think about uh, this uh, week. Now, what does this mean? How does this apply to our life? Uh, how should we live out these truths? Uh, this means that we need to keep our eyes fixed on God when things are, are falling apart all around us, when when life is hurting, when life is suffering. We need to remember that uh, God is bigger than this present moment, that he's doing something great in the world around us and in our life. And we need to trust in who he is, not necessarily in what he's doing in that moment, because we may not know what he's doing in that moment, but we can know that whatever he's doing, He's trustworthy, he loves us, and his plan is what's best uh, for us and for the uh, the course of human history. And so we trust in him even though we, we are left uh, with a lot of questions. Questions are okay, and we can still uh, follow our Heavenly Father even though we're riddled with all kinds of questions and uncertainty. We just trust with that mustard seed of faith. We trust in our Heavenly Father. And so we started this whole uh, discussion this week about uh, believing in God, even though sometimes it seems like God's not fair. That's okay, because as we said, God's really not fair. God's loving, God's gracious, and that's enough for us. So I hope that's a blessing to you. I hope as you wrestle through these questions, and these are serious questions, I hope as you wrestle with them that you'll, uh, uh, you know, get into your Bible. You'll get into God's Word. Let it get into you. Let it change your mind, change your focus, and keep your eyes fixed on God. And I hope this will be a blessing and edifying to each and every one of you. Until uh, next week, I hope you all take care, stay safe, and I'll see you then. God bless.